This week we've been reminded in a very powerful way that the world really does need what that song's talking about, mercy and love, because we've seen what, you know, accidents and what evil can do. I know you have been praying for those who have been affected by the explosion in West Texas and those affected by the bombing at the Boston Marathon this, this past uh, Monday. And like me, you're glad that the two brothers who planted those bombs have either been killed or captured, and that, in one sense, has uh, come to an end. You've probably watched television this week more than, more than usual. And uh, the video from that shootout with police in Watertown late Thursday evening, early Friday morning, just after, after midnight when the older brother was killed, uh, was chilling, just the, the, the constant barrage of, of gunfire and explosion as they threw bombs at, uh, at the police. Over 200 rounds uh, fired in that battle. What you may not know is that living on the first floor in a duplex where that shootout took place, there's a young couple, Stephen and Emily McAlpin. They are Southern Baptist church planters in Boston doing an internship with a church in Cambridge, and they actually live in Watertown where that shootout occurred. They had uh, gone to bed and said sometime after midnight they were awakened by what sounded like firecrackers going off, and then they realized it was gunfire, and they saw the, the orange color of explosions and heard the explosions. That was the bombs that were being tossed at the police. And they fell out of bed and crawled on their knees into the kitchen, embracing one another under the kitchen table. And after about five minutes, as the shooting and explosions continued, they eventually made their way to the bathroom and lay together in the tub waited till it was over. About 30 or 40 minutes later, there was a, a knock on the door. It was the police checking on them. And as they looked around, they noticed where bullets had come through the wall of their house and in the living room, there's a picture of one that landed in their television. On the other side of that television is the wall that separates their living room from the bedroom where they had been sleeping. They also found bullets in a picture frame on that wall. Outside, their car had been shot, and the front lawn and the side of the house covered with spent shell casings. He's been interviewed several times on CNN, NBC, and other news outlets. And during the interview with NBC, he said, you never think in your home when you're safe and trying to sleep that bullets are going to come through and that explosions are going to happen. He was able on these national broadcasts to share his faith, talk about Christ, praying for himself, for his neighbors, and the fact that he was there learning how to plant a church. And, and by the way, pray for this young couple because this August they moved to Los Angeles and will be planting a church in West L.A., so pray for them. Tuesday, following the Monday bombing at the marathon, Stephen McAlpin on his blog 
posted a series of prayer requests just encouraging people who read his blog to, to pray, to pray for the victims of the tragedy, pray for those who were wounded, for their families and the families of those who were killed, to pray for the workers and volunteers who were caring for them, for the relief workers and for justice, to pray for the city of Boston for peace, to pray for the evildoers. At that time, didn't know who had planted those bombs. Pray for the evildoers that they would come to repentance and to pray for our own hearts that evil would not defeat us but we would cling to the gospel of Christ. And during his interviews, one of the NBC reporters commented to him that he was struck by the generosity of spirit that he was exemplifying in his words and in his demeanor. We all know that was coming from a very real place inside him, coming from Christ, from the Holy Spirit. Evil does terrible damage. And when people's hearts are filled with hatred, it motivates them to do evil things that hurt people. But in the same way, when people's hearts are filled with love, it motivates them to do incredibly good things. And we saw both this week. We saw the evil, but we also saw the goodness as people rushed to help those who were hurt. And we see it all the time in life. We, we, we often don't pay as much attention to the good because the evil, the, the hatred that moves people to do evil is so big and it's so destructive that, that we, 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 we get fixated on it. But there's a lot of good. There's a lot of love. And love, love motivates people to do really good things, often in very difficult times. In this sermon series, Grace Changes Everything, we're learning how God's grace, God's love, really does change things. I invite you to open your Bible with me to the, to the book of Romans chapter 5 because we're studying these verses together these weeks. And we've already seen that God's grace or God's love is more than just an emotion or something He says, that God's love is such that He acts on it. He does stuff because He loves us, because of His grace. And the greatest expression of God's love, God's grace, He says, is that He sent Jesus. Verse 8 of that chapter, God demonstrates His love toward us. How? And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for He died, died for us when we were not loving Him. He died for us when we were sinners, when we were ungodly. We were enemies with God, if you will. But yet He loved us and He gave Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. That's an expression of love, an incredible love, sacrificial love. And last week, we, we looked at the fact that when you and I respond by faith to this expression of God's love, when by faith we respond by committing our lives to Christ and we receive the love of God, that it changes us. It, it changes our situation, if you will. That now, instead of being sinners and ungodly and enemies of God, etc. Now we're at peace with God and we're reconciled to God and, and, and we're justified. We're forgiven. We're saved. We become new people. And, and that when we find ourselves in this new situation by faith in Jesus because we're responding to the love of God, it changes who we are and it changes our, our attitude about life and how we view ourselves and, and, and how we view life. 
Today I want to drill down a little bit, if you will, on that idea. And look at how responding to God's love not only changes us in our relationship with God, puts us in a new situation, but, but that means that we have a new heart. That when we respond to the love of God, it changes us on the inside. It changes us in here. And, and, and we have, a, we have a, a new heart. And I want you to look at the heart of a believer and what he says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And verse 5. So if you have your Bible, look with me, please, in Romans chapter 5 at verse 1. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We looked at that a little bit last week. We're going to look at it a little bit more today. By faith in Christ, we've received this introduction, an introduction into this faith in which we now stand, we now live, we now exist. And look at verse 5. After talking about the hope that does not disappoint, he says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And, when it, and, and, and the word that's translated poured out means to be poured out extravagantly, generously. I mean, it's like a, a whole bucket full has just been dumped out on us. Well, when those two things happen, it changes who we are. And I, I want to look at the heart of a believer, this, this grace in which we now stand. I mentioned that we're in, a, we're in a new situation. We're no longer under the condemnation of God, no longer under the judgment of God. That we're now justified and have peace with God and reconciled to God, and we stand in that grace. We live in the love of God, in the grace of God. And notice he says it's by our faith in Jesus that we've received an introduction into that grace. And that word translated introduction has two meanings associated with it. It's the idea of being introduced like if, if, uh, if I come down here and, and introduce you to another person. And he's saying through our faith in Jesus, we have been introduced to the grace of God that we now live in. Because prior to that introduction to the grace of God, we were outside that grace. We were living in lostness, living in sin. And now because we're in grace through our faith in Christ, we, we don't have to try to earn God's approval. We're in His love. We live in His love. We, we don't have to earn His approval. We don't have to earn heaven by being a, a good person and living a moral life. So many people think they're, they're going to heaven because they're a good guy. But you can't be good enough to go to heaven because we're all sinners. And our faith in Jesus introduces us to this new situation, the grace of God. And I don't have to earn it by being good. Being introduced to this new situation of being in the grace of Jesus means that, that I don't have to earn heaven by obeying a bunch of religious rituals. It's not because of, of baptism or Lord's Supper. It's because of faith in Christ who paid the penalty for my sin on the cross, and I've been introduced to that new grace, and it's in that grace that I now stand, that I live every day, that I exist in the grace, the love, the forgiveness of God. And I do what I do as a person who's been transformed by that grace as a way of saying, thank you, Jesus. As believers, we live a, a moral life to say thank you and to bring honor to Him, and, 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 and we do the things we do. We, we, we're baptized because we want the world to know we're following Christ. And we're standing in grace. 
But that word introduction into His grace also has the idea of, of a, an entrance into a harbor and a, and a safe place for ships to dock. And there is no safer place than to exist in the grace of God. I mean, think about it. If I'm trying to get to heaven because of my moral goodness, that's not a very safe place to be because my moral goodness is not much compared to the holiness of God. The moral goodness in my life today does not make up for the sin I committed yesterday. Trying to get to heaven by being good, that's not a very safe place. But to understand the love of God, the grace of God is such that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and I exist in that grace, that's a safe place to be because God is the one saving me and I'm allowing Him to save me by placing my faith in Christ. But there's more to it than that. Not only do we stand and live and exist in that grace, but He said in verse 5, that the love of God has been poured out in our heart extravagantly by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 8 and elsewhere that when you become a believer, when you become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit enters your life, begins living within you, takes up residence within you. Do you know know what that really is saying? Is that as a believer, God is in you. Now, it's not this nonsense that you often hear in philosophies and strange religious thoughts in our world today that, you know, somehow we're all little gods or we'll become a god or, you know, part of us is God. None of that stuff. What it's saying is we are created beings, created by God. We're not God. We never will be God. There's nothing divine about any of us. But as believers in Christ, God says, I live within you. The Holy Spirit is in us. And when the Holy Spirit comes into my life and into your life, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we're suddenly placed in grace, standing in grace, living in the grace of God, when He comes in us, He pours within us, all over us. He absolutely fills us with the love of God in our hearts. Now, I don't know how to have God in my life. I don't know how to have the love of God in my heart. I don't know how to have that poured out extravagantly within me and not change. In fact, I would say to you it is impossible for the grace and love of God to be poured out extravagantly in your heart and you stay the same you've always been. You change. You become someone new. It changes your heart and that changes how you feel about things. It changes how you view things. It changes your perspective on things. It changes how you feel about life and about church and about people and about this ministry. It changes you. It changes your life. It changes you. And because it's love and it's in my heart, that also affects my emotions and how I feel about things. It shapes us and it influences us. And the best way to understand some of how God's love in us changes us as a believer, how it affects our heart, changes our heart, is to look at God's heart. And so let's do that real quickly. Let's look at the heart of God, the Holy Spirit, because in verse 5, He's the one who comes in us and fills us with this love of God. What's the heart of the Holy Spirit like? Well, listen to what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 8. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, 
that he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Convict people in this world of the fact that they are a sinner and there are consequences to that sin. Convict people of the fact that, that they need to be righteous. They need to have right standing with God. And the only place to find that is in, in Christ. You see, I can't win anybody to Jesus. All I can do is love them, serve them, pray for them, share the gospel with them. It is the Holy Spirit who convinces people they're sinners and they need righteousness, they need Christ, and of judgment, the fact that they're accountable to God. Now, what is that saying? Jesus said the work of the Holy Spirit is an evangelistic work. Why? Well, because God cares about lost people. God cares about the people of this world. The Holy Spirit who was in us and filling us with the love of God, His ministry is an evangelistic ministry. Jesus also in the book of Acts chapter 1, speaking of the Holy Spirit, said when He comes we'll receive power, strength, dynamis, dynamite. But why does God give us that kind of spiritual energy? He said, you shall be my witnesses. And so the work of the Holy Spirit that fills us with the love of God, when he works in our life as a believer, Jesus said that work is primarily strengthening us for an evangelistic ministry to live a life that honors God so that we can speak not only with integrity but with the boldness and the love and the conviction and the power of God upon our words to do the work of an evangelist, if you will. And so the heart of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, cares about people who are not here this morning. He cares about me. He cares about you, yes. But He also cares about those who are not here. He cares about people who are shaking their fist in the face of God today. That the Holy Spirit cares about people who are lost and don't know they need Christ. That's the heart of God, the Holy Spirit. And what about the heart of God the Father? The verse that just about everybody in here can quote, many people who never go to church can quote it, John 3, 16. God so loved whom? God so loved that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not but have. Who does God love? The world. That's more than just me. That's more than just you. What's the heart of God the Father? He loves this world. He loves the people in this world. And He loves the people in this world so much that He gave His very best, gave His Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Remember Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The heart of God the Father is love for this world, the people in it, the people who are lost, the people who don't know Christ. Well, let me ask you a question. How can you and I have the love of God the Father, the love of God the Holy Spirit within us? And about the only person we care about is the one we see when we look in the mirror every morning. I, I told the first, first service, the first crowd... That as believers, sometimes it's like we take a bucket of cold water and we dump it on a fire when it comes to the love of God. It's what some of you men and women have been doing in your marriage. You've been pouring cold water on the love you're supposed to have for each other. You've been quenching the flames of passion and intimacy in your marriage. 
Some in this room are doing the same thing when it comes to the love of God in your heart, the love of God in your life. It's like you're pouring water on it. It's like you're quenching it. And I'm challenging you. I'm saying to you, repent of that. Ask God's forgiveness for doing that. And if you don't have that love of God burning in you for His ministry and for the people of this world, get on your face before God and say, God, I've poured water on it. I'm sorry. I repent. And God begin fanning the flames. Let it burn again. There's just something not right with saying, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. But we don't love the lost people in this world. That, that, that's incongruous. And what about the heart, of, the heart not only of God the Holy Spirit and God the Father, but what about the heart of God the Son, Jesus Christ? Beyond the, the display of his heart on the cross, I'm fascinated. I'm, 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 I'm humbled by this image in Matthew 23 when Jesus stood, perhaps. I can, I can just picture him standing on the Mount of Olives looking across the Kidron Valley at the city of Jerusalem. And almost with a, with a sense of crying in his voice saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those that God sends to you and you, you read the Old Testament and you know they didn't always listen to the prophets of God. Jeremiah thrown in a well and left to die. And Jesus looking at that city saying, how often? How many times? I wanted to gather your children. I wanted to gather them together like a, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Do, do you... Do you don't you just feel the sense of compassion, the, the, the sense of motherly love in those words? But you weren't willing. You would not cooperate. And yet we have in those words this sense from Jesus that His heart was aching for those who did not know God, aching for those who resisted God, aching for those who turned their back on God. And if that love is in us, if the Holy Spirit has caused it to be spilled out and all over our hearts, how can we not have some of that aching within us? Jesus talking about His own death said, no one takes it. No one takes my life from me. He said, I lay it down of my own initiative. It's my choice. And I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up, the resurrection, but also the fact that it's his choice. No one made Jesus do what he did. He chose to express love for us, for the world, by dying. Well, that's his heart. That's his heart. And now the Bible says because we have been justified and reconciled and we're at peace with God, the Holy Spirit is in us and we stand in, we exist in, we live every day in this grace of God. And not only that, that grace, that love of God has been poured all over. It fills and overflows our hearts. And the best way to understand what that means our heart's going to look like is to look at the heart of Christ. 
to look at the heart of God the Father and look at the heart of the Holy Spirit. See, love motivates people to do incredible things. Do, do you see a pattern? And, and should not some of that pattern be evident in my life, in your life, when it comes to the people in this world who don't know Christ? And yet I'm amazed at times at the things that Christians get hung up on. Care so much about. That have nothing to do with the heart of God. I'm amazed at all of our excuses and rationalizations for not doing what we need to do to impact this world of lostness for Christ. And there's a powerful example in Romans chapter 9 of how this love of God changes the heart of a believer. I want us to look at the heart of the Apostle Paul who wrote this book of Romans and much of our New Testament was saved as an adult and then spent his life planting churches and winning people to Christ. Romans chapter 9, look at it please. Romans chapter 9, just a few pages from where you are. Romans chapter 9, verse 2. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. A heavy heart. Why? For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying, guys, I am so burdened and so broken my heart aches so much for my fellow Jews who don't know Christ. I'm so heartbroken over their lostness that I wish I could be accursed, separated from Christ. That, I, that, that he, he's, he's saying he would be willing to give up his salvation, willing to give up his place in heaven, willing to give up eternal life, willing to be accursed from God, separated from God, willing to go to hell if it meant the salvation of all those other Jewish people who were not believers in Christ. That's a burden. That's a passion. And then we have people who get mad if they, and, and, and say they won't come to church if they can't sit on the seat they want to sit on. Where's the heart of God? Look at Paul's heart in chapter 10. He said, I testify about them. And well, well, verse 1, verse 1, not verse 2, verse 1. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their what? Salvation. My heart's desire, my prayer. Who are you praying for that's lost who's not in your immediate family? Now, yes, I, you, you should pray for your immediate family, your family members who are lost. I'm not saying don't do that. Don't mishear me. But are you pray, who are you praying for that's not in your family who doesn't know Jesus Christ? How, 
many of your neighbors do you know and are you praying for? How many of your co-workers do you know and are praying for? How many young people, how many of your classmates do you know and you're praying for them because they're lost and if they died in a car wreck this weekend, they'd go to hell? How many of them are you praying for because you desire their salvation? as believers, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And my brothers and sisters, hear me, I hope we all stand there knowing that we've not been perfect, but also knowing that we have done all we could to open our hearts up to Jesus and say, Jesus, fill us with your love and help us care about the things you care about. Because it would scare me to death to think I'm going to stand before Jesus someday, having been a church member and lived my whole Christian life caring about the things I care about more than the things God cares about. God filling our hearts. Well, let me pull this together. We, we see it in everyday life how compassion blesses people. How compassion moves us to touch people in a positive way. Little Jack Hoffman, seven-year-old Nebraska kid, been battling brain cancer since he was five. Surgeries, treatments in the midst of a year-long chemo treatment now. Huge Nebraska football fan. His favorite player is uh, Burkhead, the running back for Nebraska, who just finished his last season and hopes to be drafted into the NFL a little later this month. Jack Hoffman and Burkhead became friends, and since then, this little boy's sort of been adopted by the Nebraska football team. A lot of them wear those uh, little wristbands to remember him. And he's been not only to games, but practices and in the locker room and they're just reaching out to this little kid a lot. Well, earlier this month, Nebraska, like most college teams, had their annual spring game. 60,000 fans filled the stadium to watch the Nebraska team end their spring practice with the spring game. And the last play of the game, they let little Jack on the field. I'm going to let you watch what happened. And he's wearing the number 22, guys. It is Jack Hoffman of Team Jack coming out of the field right now. There's fourth down and short. Jack Hoffman has been adopted really by this football team. A young man who has battled brain cancer. He's on the field right now for the Hustlers. One more snap for Taylor Martinez, too, who will hand it off to Jack. So Taylor gets the shotgun set, gives it to Jack. Here he goes. He's got blockers out in front. There he goes. running to midfield. Listen to this crowd. As Jack Hoffman 
The young man that, as I mentioned, has really been adopted by this football team to score a touchdown. Oh, wow. What a moment. And both benches empty. That, that was a moment right there. Wow. Goosebumps. Well, like I said, compassion can motivate people to do incredible things that bless others. Doesn't it make sense that if God's love is filling our hearts and God's love was such that he sent Jesus to die for the lost people of this world, the Holy Spirit loves lost people, the Son loves lost people, the Father loves lost people, doesn't it make sense that that love filling us would motivate us to think differently about how we do church, think differently about what our purpose in life is, about what the purpose of the church is, about why we exist and why we're planted here and how we should feel about everything? Doesn't that make sense? So if you're a believer and the truth is, You've been pouring water on God's love in your heart. You've been quenching it to the point that you're just satisfied with the fact that you're saved and focusing only on your spiritual growth and you really don't care about lost people and you don't care about this church reaching people. Then I call on you in Christ's name to get on your knees at this altar and say, Oh, Father, forgive me. I repent of that. And, Father, start rebuilding, restoring in me your love for the people of this world. And, folks, there are times when the best thing we can do for our own heart is to start loving on other people. Did you hear that? Instead of constantly being consumed by our own hurts and fears and whatever, to start loving on other people. Let God do a work in your life because that would do more to heal you than anything else. Selfishness makes it worse, not better. Love heals. Say that with me. Love heals. Say it. Love heals. Selfishness doesn't. Love heals. Love heals. And it's time some of us stop pouring water on God's love in our lives. So this altar is a place where you can pray. There's some of you need to join this church. We, we invite you. We would love for you to be part of our family of faith. Some of you need to request baptism. And there, there's people in this room, and maybe you're one of them, you've never given your life to Christ. You've never been introduced into this grace. And you need to come today and say, I want to be introduced to Jesus. I want to be introduced by Him into this grace. I want to be forgiven, be reconciled, have peace with God. I want to be saved. Today I choose to become not just a believer up here, but a believer who trusts Jesus and commits my, his or her life to Jesus. So let's stand. And as we sing this song, we invite you all over this room to come to this altar and pray. 
pray for yourself. Pray for someone to join this church. Make whatever decision you need to make. You come right now.